Well, nice to be with you folks again tonight. Um, You often find as you read through the Gospels and the experience of the disciples that there there was something available for the crowd but there were special occasions when, when, when the disciples and one or two others seemed to, seemed to get into uh, deeper moments with Jesus. And sometimes I think a Sunday evening can be a bit like that. The crowd comes in the morning, and, and, and sometimes we have a decision to make of an afternoon whether we're going to go out again at night for anything more or not. But I trust that as you have come, that there would be a blessing for you um, Ross said, my name's Andrew Quinn, I've been here before. Um, I work with Faith Mission, and the moment we, I'm uh, in, involved with Faith Mission Bible College, just in the south side of Edinburgh, and uh, teaching a little bit there, and uh, studying myself uh, part-time at Highland Theological College, and it's probably similar to what, what I was saying um, when I was last with you, although I might have been working with Faith Mission at that point as an evangelist, and less teaching in the college. Um, anyway, nice to be with you, and I um, just want to turn to, to a passage in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 3, and there we read of Jesus appointing or calling or, yeah, appointing the twelve disciples. They were already following Him to some degree, and, and then he, he appoints them twelve disciples. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boarsenes, which means sons of thunder or hot-tempered ones, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Maybe just a prayer as we, as we come to the Word. Father, we thank You, as we've said, for just the choice that we've made this afternoon to come and to hear again something from Your Word. And Father, we realize that You feed us through Your Word, that You inspire us through Your Word, that You help us through Your Word. And all of us need that because Monday is coming tomorrow. We face a week in front of us, and um, we will need to know the, the wind of God's Spirit in our seals, and that comes as we set the Word of God before our eyes. And so we pray for Your help as we look at Your Word again this evening, both for speaker and listener alike. What I want to look at and focus in on in these verses is that little phrase where it says uh, he, he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Just how that, that being with and being sent um, are contingent the one on the other. And, how, and those, those two key little phrases I, I want to just spend our, our time on this evening. It's a thing that that we're all familiar with. For those of us that are parents, we, we spend time shaping and influencing children in the home, and then we send them out. And that's a, and that's a kind of a rhythm that goes on in our lives whereby we, we, we instill various values in them, and then they go out to school, and we trust that what, what we have taught them in the home, they'll carry with them. 
If I waste my time on anything, it's probably listening to football and following football and to take it in, a, in, 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 in the realm of football. I, I noticed when Roy Hodgson took over Crystal Palace in September time, some of the pundits were saying that, that it will take two months before you see the players beginning to play the way that he will want them to play. And so the, the idea was that he would need to uh, spend a couple of months on the training pitch with them, instilling his values and his philosophy into their minds, and then it would work its way out after a couple of months in what they would do. Same sort of thing if you, start, if you, if you get a new start in a big company, they'll put you through their corporate training program, whereby they instill the values. And a friend recently just started with boots, and um, she, she had to go off to London for two weeks to be to be um, shaped and, uh, and taught in the, in the uh, corporate practices of boots, and then throughout her career with that company, then she'll, she'll live that out in a, in a more natural way because she spent time thinking it through. We do the same sort of thing in churches. A lot of apprenticeship programs go on in churches nowadays, and the idea is that uh, young folks, young fellows would spend time with an older pastor, and they would retain their own personality, but they would take on some of the of the patterns and practices of the one that they're, that they're following or, or learning from. And we see the same sort of thing here. Jesus calls these 12 to Him, that they might be with Him, that they might be… Uh, there's, there's, there's something going on at a deeper spiritual level that takes us beyond any of these illustrations that I've just used. But something of, uh, of the… These disciples need to take on something of Christ, and then they will carry Christ as they go to wherever He is sending them to. It, 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 uh, what, what is happening here is quite unique. Jesus is choosing twelve, and, um, and in selecting that number twelve, it, it, it reminds us of something of a biblical theme. He is constituting a new people. He's constituting a new entity. The last big twelve that we read of in the Bible were the twelve tribes of Israel who were identified with God's name and were sent out with a particular purpose as God's people to carry God's name to, to the Middle East and, to, and, and for a particular purpose in the Old Testament. And here, a new people is being called into being. These twelve are to be the pillars of what would become the church and to carry God's name globally. And so, um, he's, he's building what some would say is a new Israel, is being built out of the old, establishing a kingdom that will extend throughout the whole earth. But I, what I want to look at tonight is really what he does with these twelve, this little phrase that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. To be with him, first of all, discipleship is a relationship before it's ever a task. Um, here we read that they might be with him. When, when you pick up this, when you see this little phrase in chapter 3, then these disciples spend the next three, four chapters with Jesus. And then in chapter 6, they go out for the first time. And they'll go out again in Mark's gospel, and they'll go out um, and they'll be sent out in a, in a final sort of sense at the Great Commission. But it's interesting as we sort of try to ask the question, what was it like to be with Him? 
just to look at the window of opportunity between him, him designating them as twelve apostles and then sending them out in chapter 6 for the first time, what kind of things did he, did he see it as being important for them to learn before he would send them out the first time? As we move on from that um, reading in, in verse 19, it says that they entered into a house, and a crowd gathered, and his disciples uh, were there also. And uh, there was various, they were, they, some of the crowd were making the accusation that um, he's out of his mind, and uh, he's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. And from that first episode, they learned the lesson these disciples, that uh, Jesus is opposing Satan's kingdom, teaches the lesson. How could I, uh, if I am the prince of, if I am Beelzebub, then drive out demons? And they have to learn the lesson that Jesus is opposing the, uh, the reign and dominion of Satan. They have to learn through that same story that Jesus is stronger than the strong man. And he can bind the strong man and uh, and so they have to learn the lesson that Jesus has come to destroy the influence of the strong man on people's lives. They're in a battle, but Jesus is stronger. As they go on, they learn other things. The parable of the sower is the next sort of block of teaching that we see in chapter 4. And there they learn a couple of things that are helpful. They learn that what they as disciples have to carry is the seed, and the seed is the Word of God. They learn that their, that their main tool, that the main um, component of transformation in any life is the seed of the Word of God. They learn that sort of one in four principle, that for, if, it, if, it, if it can be taken as literally as that, not all seed will find its way into good soil. And so they learn various things. Whenever you get on into chapter 5, they, they, they make a journey across the, across the Sea of Galilee, and they get to the far side, and they meet a guy who is a demon-possessed, and they have to learn that um, Jesus is stronger again than the powers of darkness, and He's able to take peoples whose lives are in self-destruct mode and who are enslaved by Satan and set them free. So, we, 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 we could go on like that, but as, as, as Jesus calls these twelve, designates them apostles, and, and, and calls them to be with Him, first of all, they have to learn. Peter would go on on the day of Pentecost to stand up and preach. Peter would go on to, to write the epistles, to feed the information to Mark, that would give us Mark's gospel. John would go on to write the book of the gospel of John, 1, 2, 3 John, the book of Revelation. And for, for them to do that, for these men to do that, they first needed to learn from Jesus. To be with Jesus is to learn from Him. Andrew Davis in his book, An Infinite Journey, Growing Towards Christ-likeness, says that God desires to build a city of truth in the heart of all His children. This city of truth will be erected brick by brick. That is, line by line of Scripture, precept by precept, truth by truth, over years of time spent in His Word. To be with Jesus means to learn, means to, to refashion our minds, 
Christians, according to the pattern of the Word of God. But their learning didn't all take place in the classroom. They also saw the Word in action. They had loads of experiences with Jesus. First of all, they're learning the Word of God, but then through experience, they're beginning to see what the Word of God will look like in real-life situations. It's one thing to know about God's power to save. It's a very different thing to see what happens to the man of Gadara, to see him once naked, speaking involuntarily, to see him confrontational with Jesus, coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what are you got to do with me? To see him ostracized from society, and then to see when, when Jesus speaks the Word into his life and drives out the darkness, to see him wonderfully transformed, to see him clothed, able to proclaim testimony, sitting at Jesus' feet and among his own people as a witness. So, it was a learning experience for them. They, uh, they saw as they, as they made their way in Mark chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, as they made their way across the Sea of Galilee to see, to see God's sovereignty at work and to rest in it. Um, they get caught in the midst of a violent storm. We see them learning through failure. Because as they were in that storm, Jesus had said that they were going to the far side, and they knew that Jesus' intention for them was good. And yet in the storm, they learn through failure because they panic, and they, and they, and they focus their minds on the situation and on the circumstances, and they forget about the character of God to do the. Uh, God's good character and, and intentions to do them good, and His Word that they were going to the other side, and they were learning through, through the, the experience of, 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 of failure. To be with Jesus is to learn in our minds. To be with Jesus is to see God's Word uh, come to life in, in the variety of life. To be with Jesus is to take on something of His heart for people, as the, again, as they met the man of Gadara, he had an unclean spirit. He was living in the tombs. He probably chose to go to the tombs, but he was probably banished to the tombs at the same time. Nobody else seemed to be bothering with him. He was crying out. He was cutting himself. He couldn't be bound with chains even because he would tear the chains off himself. And he comes up and he's confrontational with Jesus. Most people would have avoided this character, but Jesus has, has, has compassion for him. His first words to him is, what is your name? He sees what he is, but he's not scared of what he is. He recognizes what he can become. Wonderfully sets him free. Another beautiful experience they would, they would learn would be would be Jesus' heart of compassion for the broken people. Remember the woman with a discharge of blood, and he meets her again in um, Mark chapter 5, and the disciples are there, and they're learning from that experience. A woman who, who has been um, broken down with 12 years of illness. Uh, she has been cut off from the synagogue all this time. She has lost her lost her self-esteem that she dare not uh, publicly identify herself as coming to Jesus, and she sneaks up behind him and tries to grab on to the back of his cloak and does so, 
And yet Jesus, with compassion, looks at this woman who others who, who would have been ostracized from society and calls her daughter, wonderfully heals her. To be with Jesus means to learn. To be with Jesus means to see His Word in action. To be with Jesus is to take on something of His heart for people. Kevin DeYoung, uh, writing in The Hole in Our Holiness, a modern book written by an American guy, a good guy on, on holiness, says, when I speak of communion with Christ, I mean strengthening our relationship with Him. As our communion deepens, we enjoy sweeter fellowship and interchange with Him. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing to use the word interchange when you're speaking of our relationship with Jesus. When I speak of communion with Christ, I mean strengthen our relationship with Him. Our communion deepens. We enjoy sweeter fellowship. We grow in knowledge of Him and affection for Him. And we experience more richly His love and affection for us. And most crucially, as, our, as, as we deepen our communion with Christ, seeing and savoring His grace more and more each day, we also obey Christ more fully and more freely. Singler Ferguson says, through Scripture, you might think to yourself, but we can't be with Christ. But Ferguson says, through Scripture and by Christ's Spirit, it is still possible to be with Him. To be with Jesus, to learn from Him in His Word, to see how His Word <coughs> operates in our lives, to enter into intimate relation with Him, for faith to grow, for love to increase. And then, wonderfully, to be like Jesus. So we spend time in His Word as He shapes and transforms us. To be with Jesus will, by the working of God's Spirit, bring the Word of God to bear in our lives so that we become more and more like Him. It's a beautiful concept to think as we, as we think on Christ, as we spend time with Christ, that Christ is formed in us. Ferguson again says, God's Son in our flesh. Every believer within his or her own personality, we retain our own personality, but our character becomes a reminiscence of Jesus. Jesus calls people to fellowship with Himself in order to implant His message and His mission among them. And we know, we know, don't we, that fellowship doesn't happen at a great distance, but rather in close proximity. To put it in doctrinal language, it's the, it's the distinction between union, or there is a distinction between union with Christ and communion. Union is all about Christ's finished work, and it's never about what we might feel or do on any given day. But communion is an enjoyment of the relationship between us and Jesus. It's to, not just to know the Word of God in our minds in a historic way, but to know the Word of God in our lives in a current, confident, powerful way because God is speaking to us today. It brings a joy to our lives when we're, 
when we're closely and intimately relating with Him. It brings something of His life in us in a current way and flowing through us in a current way. I'm married, I've been married since 2008. If I don't spend, and I know my wife fairly well in these years, but if I don't spend time with my wife learning from her, catching her heart, being open in her presence, we're still married. We will be. But there's a reduction of the current knowledge and there's a loss of joy. Jesus calls, called these twelve disciples to be with Him. He's still calling people to be with Him. In fact, it's the whole goal of the gospel to be with Him, to enjoy His presence, and to be in that intimate relationship with Him. In a sense, it's our, it's our preparation for heaven to be with Him. And as we're with Him, what we read in these verses was that he, he appointed twelve. Actually, the Greek word translated there, appointed, is the same word that's, or the, the simple or the literal translation of that would be to make. And I just wonder, I just wonder if uh, the, the, the older Peter passing on to the younger Mark passing on to the church at Rome, is suggesting to them, if Jesus hadn't taken a hold of us, fishermen, common folk, if we hadn't spent time with Him and learned from Him and tried and failed and, got, and been rebuked and been graciously restored, what was happening throughout all that process was not so much that He was appointing us as if there was something in us worthy of being designated apostles, but He made us as we spent time with Him. And any of you that have been Christians for a while will know that, that there's nothing in us to make us Christ-like. But as we spend time with Him, he wonderfully makes us after His image. Billy Graham said, I think fairly famously now, looking back over his long life, and he did an awful lot for the kingdom, he said, I would spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer, not just for myself but for others. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its message to my life. Jesus called these twelve disciples to be with Him. He still calls people as Christians to be with Him. Let's be with Him this week in prayer, in His Word, in the church, in fellowship around the table on a Sunday morning, that we might be filled with His life. And so we would be uh, prepared and moved to carry Him to the world around about us. And so they were with Him to be sent out to preach 
and to drive out demons. It was, of course, a unique role for them as apostles, as the twelve. They would be preachers who would proclaim the coming of Christ's kingdom and see the church birthed. Their preaching was authenticated by signs and wonders. They had a, these twelve had a unique role, of course, in the history of the church. And their role in driving out demons was also unique. The apostles were given by Christ an, 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 an authority and a gift in, in, in exorcism. But that did focus attention on what Jesus was all about right from, from those early days when, when Christ began to, to speak the Word. You could see visibly that the frontiers of darkness were, be, were, were being driven by in the Middle East. And I think in some ways it, it uh, graphically presented and uh, put down a marker as to what God's Word would do as it was being carried by the twelve and being carried by the church across the globe, that the frontiers of darkness and that the, and that the demonic realm would be driven back as the Word of God was preached and proclaimed and and. and and embraced in lives wherever it would go. So I thought about, thought about the actual fellows that are mentioned here. A couple of things really struck me as I was preparing this. We know quite a lot about Peter and James and John and a little more about Andrew, but these these later guys, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, some of these men we know a little bit of, some snippets from early church history, and it's hard to know how reliable these things are. Some we know nothing much of. But this much we know from this passage is Jesus calls them, He called them to be with Him, and He sent them out to preach. This much we know that they were with Him and that they went out to preach. And just because they didn't appear in the Acts of the Apostles or elsewhere doesn't mean that their exploits weren't significant. It, just, it was a blessing to me. There are, there are a few people who, for whatever reason, gain notoriety in the history of the church. There are people, Scotland has been blessed with a few people who, who have written books, and books have been written about them, guys like Robert Murray McShane, uh, Thomas Chalmers, Thomas Guthrie, Andrew Boner, some of these men, the likes of C.H. Spurgeon, the Baptist tradition, the likes of John Piper of our own day and generation. And for all these, there are millions more. But for all these Phoebus guys, of course, there are more than those just mentioned, but there are millions more ordinary preachers Guys that spend time with Jesus, women that spend time with Jesus, and they go out to labor and to preach in lonely places, driving back the frontiers of darkness. And the full exploit of what they get involved in is known only to God. And yet that will be enough. Some of these, uh, for, for, for all of these twelve they all came from the common folk, the Amharets, the people of the land. There were probably reasons why Jesus wanted to create a distinct new people, free from some of the taints of the religious establishment. But by spending time with Jesus, these, 
these, these common people, these people of the land, grasped the truth and were enabled to preach the truth on the day of Pentecost and beyond. And yet, by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, they still bore the marks of unschooled ordinary men. I was down in Cumbria last weekend with Faith Mission, just doing a, a weekend of meetings down there, one of the guys that works down there, and with one of the guys that works down there. And preaching last Sunday afternoon in a little country chapel in the heart of Cumbria. Many ways of flourishing work, but they have no regular Bible teacher. And the man who's seen the work built up from a little tin hut to a fine building and a flourishing, blossoming children's and youth work ministry in a mix of ages, he sat down beside me after the afternoon service, and, 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 he, and he says, we're always on the lookout for someone to take this work to the next stage, to come and be our preacher. What do they need? Rural Cumbria, they need one of the people of the land. They need the country lad who understands the country people and yet has been in the schoolhouse with Jesus. There's still, a, there's still a need. There's a great need for preachers, for teachers, for pastors and evangelists. I heard a story, a very encouraging story this past week of a fellow, um, an elder in a church in Northern Ireland, leading a Sunday school with his own thriving business two children in the middle years of school, coming to a point where he's quite sure that God is asking him to leave that down and go and prepare for Christian work. It's a fantastic story, and we uh, will follow his progress eagerly. But there's huge need in these islands for preachers and for gospel workers. Listening to a prayer request just this past week from Japan, one of the leaders in, of OMF work in Japan, crying out, for people to go and to preach the gospel in Japan. There was a need then. Jesus', Jesus pattern was that He would call these twelve, that they would spend time with Him, and then that they would go out. And so there's a particular application in this in terms of a call for preachers, a challenge to us as preachers to be with Jesus, then to go and preach for Jesus, I ask you to pray for preachers for Scotland. The Baptist, Baptist tradition is just the same as anywhere else in terms of a need for preachers. But there's a pattern here for all Christians, that we might be with Him, that we might know His message in a real and current and living way in our lives from day to day that we might share His heart before we ever leave home so that we might be able to go and proclaim. If you're involved in a formal teaching role in any way in Sunday school or in Bible classes, you'll need to be with Him if you're going to go and share discussing this with my home group, this subject with my home group, just this past week, and one of the women, an older Christian lady and a godly lady, says it's a bit like, it's a, it's a bit like the effect of bubbling, whereby we, we are with Him. We catch something of His heart. The knowledge of God is fresh within us, and it's bubbling out of us. 
as we go to where we go. And you know, even, even it's not evangelism. Even you're going to the prayer meeting. You want to be able to pray in the prayer meeting. You want to be able to have a living, worshipful experience in the prayer meeting. You will need to have been with Him first. I have been in endless, to my shame, endless uh, scary experiences whereby I'm driving to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and I'm praying in the car. Do you know why I'm praying in the car? Because I haven't prayed all day. And I find myself going to the prayer meeting and I'm scared when I open my mouth to pray that there'll be nothing but a stammer coming out. If you want to be able to minister and to offer something of the life of God to those around about you, you'll need to be with Him first. I've seen both sides of it. For those of us that are parents, emerging bleary-eyed out of the bedroom each day, to present Jesus to our children, to present Jesus to our friends. There is the risk that all we ever pass on is the form of religion. I can, I'm well enough trained in Christianity that, uh, well enough trained in the system of the church that when half ten comes on a Sunday morning, our kids will be in the car and will be going to church. That's just what we do. I can pass on the form of religion to them, but if I'm going to pass on the life of religion, I will need to first have been with Jesus for that life to be current in mine. And it's something of a rhythm. Certainly in the training of a preacher and that sort of thing, there is, a, there is definitely an emphasis that we would spend a a chunk of our lives early on with Jesus before we would go to preach, that sort of Bible college training experience, whatever that looks like. But all throughout life, it's a rhythm. This being with Him prior to going, prior to going is a rhythm. After these disciples would go out in Mark chapter 6, Jesus would send them out two by two. They would live by faith. They would preach they would deal in the realm of the demonic. They would give themselves to people. But then, just before the feeding of the 5,000, it says this, that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all they had done and taught. They were so busy, they had no chance hardly even to eat. And He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. It was a pattern that He had already taught them. In Mark chapter 1, if you read through Mark chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus has one crazy day, whereby in the morning time He's in the synagogue, He's teaching in the synagogue, and then He ends up healing a man of an unclean spirit in the synagogue. He leaves the synagogue with the intention of going back to Peter's house to have something to eat. When they get to Peter's house, they discover that Peter's mother-in-law is ill. Jesus has to give himself again, seeking to attend and to minister to Peter's mother-in-law. And then Peter's mother-in-law is well, and she's able to serve them the food. And then by the end of the day, it says that evening at sundown in Capernaum, that's the town they were in, they brought all to him who were sick or oppressed by, demon and by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many. But you know what it says the next day? It says, and then the next day he rises very early 
departed and went to a solitary place. And there he prayed. I prepare, I prepare my material on a laptop. I'm sure you work with a laptop often. And a laptop, you plug it into the plug and it goes through a little transformer and then another little lead into the laptop. I don't know what happens in that transformer, but I know this, whenever you plug out the plug out of the electricity supply, the little LED light on the transformer burns for a little while before it begins to dim. And in the rhythm of life, you can, you can spend time with Jesus, and then you can go out. But if you don't plug in again, communion with Jesus, the light will begin to dim. I was reading this week about Scripture Union, reading about their Go conference, and for young folks in the top end of secondary school, S4 to S6, what they intend to do with young folks is to give them a weekend of Bible teaching, a weekend of worship, a weekend of working out how the Word of God works in their context, to be in community of people that are doing similar things, and then they send them home to go to school and to go to church and to shine for Jesus. It's the same thing that Scripture Union has been about all of their existence these 150 years, training people to be with Him and then to go. I encourage you tonight as I finish, take time. Take time to be with Him. Maybe, maybe it'll be desperation that will lead you again to the quiet place. Maybe it will be delight. Maybe you'll remember sweet times. Maybe it will be duty. For some, maybe for somebody in the room, there will need to be a returning to your first love. Maybe for most of you, it's just an encouragement to keep on doing what you already do. Feeling dry, maybe you're feeling dry and spiritually ineffective. <coughs> Don't let your feelings dictate the agenda. Praise Jesus anyway. Praise Him until you praise Him. Do the thing that gives life even and especially when you don't feel particularly alive. Well, that's an awful lot of words, but the little phrase grasps it. You can carry the little phrase home in the car and ponder it throughout the week. He called them to be with Him that He might send them out. The office will open tomorrow morning. You'll maybe be there. The courtroom, the classroom, the hospital, the care home the kitchen table, the golf course. I don't know what tomorrow looks like for you, but I know this much. It will be better if first we have been with Him. If the learning is fresh, if the heart is warm, if the character is Christ-like and the Spirit is prompting us. You know, there's an awful lot of chat today in the church about the church spreading out and influencing society. There's only one way that we'll influence society. There's only one way that we'll even feel like influencing society, and that is if we've first been with Him.
Because if we haven't first been with Him, we'll have nothing to share, and we'll have no heart with which to share it. But if you've been with Him, there'll be a kind of a bubble effect that you can't hold back, and you wouldn't want to hold back because it's, because it's living in you. Let me finish… Let me finish with a, with a, with a prayer of um, Scotty Smith taken from the Gospel Coalition website. Some words on this theme that um, just put it better than I could put it. Uh, let me finish with this prayer and, and, and listen along. Dear Lord Jesus, Acts 4 shows where this goes. Two unschooled, ordinary fishermen, Peter and John, were radically changed because these men had been with Jesus. Oh, to be a people about whom others would be inclined to say he, is, he or she has obviously been with Jesus. What else could explain this merciful heart for the broken, courage in the face of injustice, and calm in the presence of chaos? How well we know, Lord Jesus, that doing noble things for you is not the same thing as spending life-giving time with you. Thinking great thoughts about you is not the same thing as vital communion with you. Helping others understand the gospel is not the same thing as drinking presently and deeply from the wellspring of grace for myself. In all honesty, we're not really concerned about others being able to say, He's been with Jesus. I want my own heart to know that I've been with you. Who or what do I have in heaven but you, Jesus? You make heaven heavenly. It's not about the streets of gold but your unabated presence, being with you. I desire nothing else on earth because absolutely nothing else satisfies my soul like you do. My flesh and my heart may feel, but you, Jesus, are the strength of my heart and my portion, my banquet, my inheritance forever. It is good, and it is enough for me to be near you, my sovereign Savior and my loving refuge in your holy and compassionate name. Amen.